Morning, everyone. Turn with me to Isaiah 32. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. Till the spirit is poured on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest. Slow down on that progression with me really quick. Until the spirit is poured on us and the desert becomes what? A fertile field. And that desert that turned into a fertile field becomes a forest. God had a plan for humanity. He had a plan for humanity to cover the whole earth with his glory and to spread the Garden of Eden, this rich, beautiful, fertile field, this rich, beautiful forest. He wanted that to cover the entire earth. Humanity goes astray in multiple ways. But then it's the spirit, it's the anticipation of the spirit to restore God's original plan, to restore God's vision for what his earth and what humanity would look like. So this week, I'm gonna continue our series of in Advent. We titled this series, Because He Came. And then the, the, t- the title of each message is, We Are a Community of Blank. We fill in the blank. So last week, We talked about how we were a community of justice. Amazing message by Luke that offended me and encouraged me all at the same time. You know, it's like one to re-listen to. Something Luke loves to talk about and that we are gonna just keep pressing into as a church. This week, we're talking about the Spirit, how we're a community of the Spirit. And the kind of way that we're introducing every message, the, the framework we're trying to come at every message from is from prophecies by Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of Judah and Israel and and actually of the nations as well, who was prophesying about things that were going to happen immediately to Israel and Judah, as well as he was seeing and anticipating things were going to come in the future. And so he's seen how, if we go back to Isaiah 32, um, the fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, Citadel and Watchtower will become a wasteland forever. All this, this is like descriptions of the exile that's about to take place and that's currently taking place. And the barrenness that's coming on Israel and just the horrible state that this nation's about to be in. But at the same time, he sees the good future that God has to bring. Now, Isaiah had no idea how this future was gonna come or when it was gonna come, but notice the hinge point. It was the spirit that was gonna be the turning point of this future being unleashed and released on earth. So, pause that thought about the spirit, okay? And I wanna show you guys some pictures I found this week that are really interesting, stuff I'd never seen before. Here's the first picture. If you, it might be a little bit hard to see from where you are. On the sides, it says, watch meeting, December 31st, 1862. On the other side, it says, waiting for the hour. This is a depiction of a bunch of enslaved African-Americans praying and anticipating something on December 31st, 1862. Let's go to the next picture. 
Another picture, the same thing. This is a watch meeting, something I've never heard of, still celebrated today. Maybe there's people in the room who have celebrated a watch meeting before on December 31st. But listen to this description. This is from the Smithsonian. On Freedom's Eve, or the eve of January 1st, 1863, the first watch night services took place. On that night, enslaved and free African Americans gathered in churches and private homes all across the country, awaiting news that the Emancipation Proclamation had taken effect. At the stroke of midnight, prayers were answered as all enslaved people in Confederate states were declared legally free. Union soldiers, many of whom were black, marched onto plantations across cities in the South, reading small copies of the Emancipation Proclamation, spreading the news of freedom in Confederate states. So Abraham Lincoln issues the Emancipation Proclamation, and this is something that was being prayed for and anticipated. And then, you know, the kind of rub was that Confederate states were, they had seceded. So they weren't like really listening to Abraham Lincoln. You know, they didn't regard him as their president. So as the battles are continually won in the South, in the Confederate states, Union soldiers get this incredible privilege of coming and giving this news, this news of liberation and freedom to enslaved African Americans. Go to the next picture, please, Denise. This one's hard to see. I wish it was bigger, but this is my favorite picture I found this week. This is a picture of a Union soldier reading the Emancipation Proclamation inside of a slave's home. Listen on. But not everyone in Confederate territory would immediately be free. Even though the Emancipation Proclamation became law in 1863, it could not be implemented in places still under Confederate control. As a result, in the westernmost Confederate state of Texas, enslaved people would not be free until much later. Freedom finally came on June 19, 1865. What we celebrate now is a national holiday, Juneteenth. When some 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas, led by Major General Gordon Granger. The Union General announced that the more than 250,000 enslaved black people in the state were free by executive decree. So we have the Emancipation Proclamation put into law January 1st, 1863, but then it's two, more, two and a half more years of fighting and war and the news being spread until the law actually became reality in the United States. And then really, it's not until the 13th Amendment was passed that all slaves were set free. That in-between period just kind of like blows my mind and captivates me. To think that it took two and a half, it was two and a half years before freedom was realized for people. The Emancipation Proclamation had the full weight and authority of the president the moment that it put, came into law. But it, it wasn't like any, it wasn't any more a law two and a half years after it was originally signed on Juneteenth. But it took that time for it to be worked out. Why am I talking about this? I think it's a striking and really helpful metaphor for us of our experience of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus came. He was born, he lived, he died. He had a, before he died, he had a whole ministry. He resurrected from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he poured out the spirit on the church. 
the kingdom came. It, it really came. It wasn't like part of the kingdom came, you know? Like if the king is there, then the kingdom is there. Jesus the king, the person that Isaiah was anticipating coming and pouring out the spirit. This whole section of Isaiah we read earlier is all about what it's gonna be like when the coming king arrives. So this, the, the king truly came. And if you're, look, look at how um, bluntly Jesus puts it himself in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. He's just casted some demons out of somebody and the, the Pharisees are like, you're casting demons out by the power of demons. And here's what Jesus says. Fools, but if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm gonna read the next verse too. I didn't put it in the slides though. Verse 29 says this. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. So there's two really clear analogies Jesus is making here. First he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's important we pay attention to that. Past tense. When a demon is driven out, that means the kingdom is here, is present in that moment. Maybe there's other circumstances where the kingdom isn't um, ruling and domineering over, but where a miracle happens, that is evidence that the kingdom has come in this present evil age the full weight and authority of Jesus has been expressed. The kingdom of God has come. When we say kingdom, think the rule of God, his will being imposed. And then in verse 29, Jesus kind of cranks it up a notch. How can anyone enter a strong man's house? How can anyone enter earth and carry off his possessions, meaning free people, unless he first ties up the strong man, the devil? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus is saying, how could I be doing the works I'm doing unless I'd already conquered the devil? How could I do this stuff unless I'd already conquered the devil? So just like how slaves in the Confederate States were declared free the moment the Emancipation Proclamation took effect, and lots of slaves were freed Imagine the next day. Imagine, you know, the, the, all of the Confederate cities that had already been captured, but the Emancipation Proclamation by the Union Army, but that the Emancipation Proclamation hadn't taken effect yet. Boom, one day, everything changes. Come and share the news. You're freed. But we know that it took two and a half more years for them to reach Galveston Bay, Texas, and for the Emancipation Proclamation to be fully realized across the United States. In the same way that Jesus completely and utterly inaugurated and initiated and brought the kingdom of God, he didn't abolish this evil age. And so we, we live in that time between January 1st, 1863 and June 19th, 1865. We live in that in-between zone where the kingdom has come and it wouldn't make any sense to say it's partially come, like that law took effect. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come if I cast out demons. <coughs> and yet in some mysterious fashion, 
the kingdom of God is still to come and to completely take out this evil age. Look at, let's look at how Jesus ex- alludes to this. And does Jesus really say that in Acts chapter 1? Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So just stop right there for a second. What they're saying is, <coughs> is this time for like the Davidic monarchy to begin again? There is this king named David who ruled, and then his son Solomon who ruled, and basically Jerusalem was like the locus point of power on the entire earth then. We were the ruling nation. People came to us to learn from us. Are you going to do that again where... Um, the nation state of Israel is restored and where this is how they're, this is how they're thinking of it and where um, Israel becomes the power center again. That's what they associate with the kingdom of God coming. And Jesus says this. I mean, I, I imagine in his mind, he's like, holy, oh my goodness, I can't believe you guys are still asking me that question. <laughs> but then we're still asking that question today, right? <laughs> People are still confusing what it looks like for the kingdom to come. He said to them, <clears throat> it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what he's saying is, it's n- not for you to know. You're not supposed to fixate and anticipate and try and understand. Like, literally, he's saying, don't make a big deal about when, I, when that's gonna happen. <laughs> it's not for you to know. This book is not full of secrets on how we figure out when Jesus is coming back. It is not for you to know. It is not for you to know (laughs) the times or dates. Like, I think he's trying to be clear here, you know? But you will receive power when who comes upon you? The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then it's on. Then you're supposed to continue my work. This thing I've been doing of righting wrongs, of healing the sick, casting out demons, tearing down oppressive structures, and just, that is what you're waiting for to initiate that work, is the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Continue on, and go all over the entire earth. Verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now just pause really quick. Here's a really interesting thing about Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts were written by the same person, you know, Luke. And what happens when, there's a turning point in the book of Luke where Jesus starts to go towards Jerusalem now. He's marching towards his death. And who is it that appears to him? Elijah and Moses. Just interesting, you know, that now as another turning point of Jesus' ministry, where he passes his ministry off again, and it doesn't say angels. It says two men dressed in white stood beside them. Just interesting. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Basically, you guys, that is us. 
okay? Basically, we are supposed to read this and understand like we are the ones standing there watching him go away. And the directions to us are to go. Stop staring and looking. Stop waiting right here. Like you didn't miss it when he left, right? You're not gonna miss it when he comes back. Go obey him now. Go, go obey him now is the message. And Advent is like a really special time where we get to celebrate that. Advent is, it comes, Advent's a Latin word. It means appearing or coming. And so what we're doing right now is, this is the time of year where we celebrate Jesus's first coming, right? Where he was born. And I would even broaden out where we, where we could be celebrating more than just when he was born, but his life and ministry and, and everything. Easter's where we celebrate his death, you know? So Christmas, and Easter's where we celebrate his resurrection, actually. So at Christmas, we're celebrating that he advented, that he appeared, that he came. And the reason is to take this as a time to remind ourselves that he is coming back. So we're pausing, we're waiting. Okay, emancipation proclamation has taken effect. But Juneteenth hasn't happened yet. We're remembering that Juneteenth is still to come. That we're in that in-between time. And we're like, that soul, will you put that picture back up? We're like that soldier. That's who we are. We are going and spreading this wonderful, amazing news to people as, who are enslaved. Like, I don't want to, I, I want to pause real quick and say, like, the experience of an African-American in slavery is in, incomparable to any of our present circumstances, Okay. So like the analogy stops there, but in a very real sense, we are enslaved, humanity is enslaved. And we're getting to deliver the news to people that a new king has come. He has taken back authority over heaven and earth. And if you'll be loyal to him, if you'll receive him, if you'll base your life around him, you'll be freed from the slavery and the oppression you're under to your flesh and to the powers of this world. Listen to how Ephesians 2 describes people outside of Christ. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So they're dead. (laughs) In which you used to live, now this is creepy here, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's how we should understand people outside of Christ. They're following a false religion, the spirit of the air. He's at work inside of them. And we're getting to come and tell them, hey, there's a good king here who wants to liberate you from your addiction, from your depression, from your unforgiveness. He wants to liberate you. And the spirit is how we do this. So as I was... um, Thinking about what, you know, I got 12 more minutes. Almost 11 more minutes. Eight, seven, six, five. Um, What's on my heart is to tell our church, and there's a slide for this, Denise, get ready. So this is dramatic. (laughs) That we're called to be a community of the Spirit's gifts and the Spirit's fruit. 
We're called to be a community of the Spirit's gifts and the Spirit's fruit. If our church was at risk of only falling into one side of the Spirit, the risk would be that we would fall into the gifts of the Spirit and ex- and instead of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't think that's like what's happening in our church by any means. Part of the reason that people like this place is because of how much of the fruit of the Spirit there is, how loving and accepting an environment is. However, we're doing Cincinnati School of Supernatural Ministry. <laughs> we're doing School of Prophetic Ministry, not School of Love, <laughs> School of Patience, Cincinnati School of Forbearance and Faithfulness, you know? <laughs> so like, let's just hone in on this for the next 10 minutes. How do we grow as a people of the fruit of the Spirit? How do we grow as a people of the fruit of the Spirit? And I'm gonna read the passage on the fruit of the Spirit, and then we're gonna do a, you're gonna turn to your neighbor and do a quick discussion, and then I'll wrap it up with some closing thoughts, okay? So Galatians 5 says this, <clears throat> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, slash patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is our life source. So let's live like how, like, keeping the Spirit is like, the Spirit's patient. Okay, I'm gonna step into patience right now. The Spirit's expressing love. I'm gonna step into love right now. So I wanna dialogue about this um, as a room for a second. So we put the first question up. Here's what we're gonna do. Turn to your neighbor and just share quickly, which fruit of the Spirit did you feel weakest in last week? We're gonna be vulnerable and confess. And then which fruit were you strongest in? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and share. You have 30 more seconds, person one. All right, other person share if you haven't shared yet. All right, here's a bit of homework for you, okay? We go to the next thing. We're not gonna do this right now because we don't have time, but as you leave, what I'd encourage you to do before you get up out of your seat after my sermon is to take turns praying for one another to be strengthened in the one they were weak in and the one you're strong in. Before you leave, turn to your person you shared with, (coughs) each of you, and pray for them to be strengthened in the one they were weak in. So if they weren't patient, pray for them to be strengthened in patience. And whatever one you said you were strong in, pray for them to have strength in that one as well. Other than flip, okay? And that's how we're gonna, after, after the service ends, if you wanna do that. So, you can take that slide down. Let's zoom out really quick on this expectation of the Spirit being poured out. 
There's a dual expectation throughout the Old Testament of what it's going to look like when the Spirit is poured out on the people of God. There's the idea that all of God's people are now going to be supernaturally empowered for ministry. They're going to be like prophets. Like when Moses says, I wish everyone would prophesy. I wish the Spirit was put on everybody. And Joel, he predicts this. Young men will dream dreams, see visions, etc., etc. But then there's this other anticipation of the Spirit being poured out that's not this like prophetic um, superpower, which is amazing, one, but that it would actually change us on the inside. Ezekiel predicts that we'll get new hearts. Jeremiah predicts that we will have this, the law written on our heart, and this is all going to be done by the Spirit. So one anticipation of the Spirit being poured out was so that we could do God's works. The other anticipation of the Spirit being poured out was so that we could live out God's ways, so that we could continue to image him, just reflect him, act like him, if you want to think of it that way, so we could act like God. And here's the beauty. Jesus merges the two. We don't got to choose which, which point out of the spirit tradition we want to fall into because we want to be like Jesus, right? And he embodied both of them. I was thinking about that this week, that as stunning as, and as insane it would be to be with Jesus when he rose someone from the dead, I think what would be maybe even more shocking would be to walk away from that event and him to look you in the eyes and actually care about what you have to say. That this man with his incredible amount of power also remembered your name and also remembered your children's name and asked you questions and didn't always answer first. The character of Jesus is as impressive and as astounding as the miracles and works of Jesus. And our world needs both. Okay, like patience doesn't do anything good for someone with a brain tumor. You need the gift of healing, okay? (laughs) But if we are only focused on the gifts of the Spirit, we'll become this weird, toxic culture that doesn't reflect the heart of God. Imagine if someone came into this church on a Sunday, which this is a total thought experiment. This is nowhere close to the truth. But imagine someone came in and they went to get, you know, there was no greeter, first of all. And then they go over to get their coffee and there's no creamer left. They come to someone with a name tag and the person, and they say, hey, could I have some creamer? And the person with the name tag just acts incredulous. You want, what? I'm not gonna help. Go find it yourself. They come into the sanctuary, worship's going and they can like sense, like you can feel the presence of God. You can't even stand in the room. You're glued to the floor because God's presence is so powerful and strong. The preacher gets up to preach and he's arrogant and smug and he's demeaning, but he's also really funny, and his insights into scripture are insane. You come up at the end to get prayer for your degenerative discs and the surgeries you've had, and as you get prayer, metal pops out of your body, and you're instantly totally healed, okay? A fantastic miracle happens, and on the way out, you see someone yelling at their kid. Isn't that like a really broken, dissonant picture? (laughs) Like, the power, of the, Spirit, the power of the Spirit is to express the love of God. So if we can't manifest the character of God, then manifesting his power is misrepresentative of him. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, all about love, is about the Spirit of the gifts. We're called to be known by the Spirit of love, Patience, 
faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So, to close, let me just tell you three ways that I have found that have helped me personally grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Number one is margin. <clears throat> what I mean by this is creating and protecting space in my life. Not always being in a rush, not always being in a hurry, reducing the amount of activity so that I'm in my life, reducing the amount of things I'm trying to accomplish so that I'm not always in a hurry and in a rush. It's really hard to be kind and patient to Haya and Silas when I'm fixated on being on time to my in-law's house to hang out. But what's more important, you know, like what is gonna help me manifest the fruit of the spirit more when I'm squeezed in that moment? Being present with my kids. So creating margin in life has been key for me to develop fruit of the spirit. Second, and, and what I would just say is, what's a baby step you can take to maintain margin in your life? That's like the thought we should have is, what's a step I can take towards creating more dead space in my life so that not every moment is filled? Second practical way I've grown in the fruit of the spirit is through my identity. And here's what I'd say, confessing my sin and confessing my identity. Confessing my sin and confessing my identity. Going to my dad and Luke and my wife and saying, hey, here's where I messed up, here's where I blew it. I was, I was super stressed this day because of my kids taking forever to go to sleep, and so I was way too rough and mean to my dog when I let him out. Like, I just gotta confess that, will you forgive me? That, that's a real confession, okay? Like, that's a real thing. <laughs> but actually, taking the bad things I do and putting them out there to a trusted individual so I can receive forgiveness, I can receive God's love, and then I can be reminded of my identity. Otherwise, we internalize our sinful behaviors as part of our identity. It doesn't do us any good to confess our identity if we don't confess the lies we believe about our identity first. The lie has to be uprooted so the truth can supplant it and take its place. This is why Nick's message a couple weeks ago was so good on renewing our mind. Anybody have their note card? Yeah. Come on, y'all. I'm just trying to shame you right now. <laughs> Here are my declarations from Nick's uh, message. He said to make declarations to help renew our mind with our truth about our identity. Jesus, that's my first declaration. Second declaration is, I am not alone when I feel anxious. God is with me. My third declaration is, the Father always has a good plan in front of me. And my fourth declaration was, I am emotionally attached to my Father's love for me. So not just focusing on where I fall short, but making sure that I am even more so doubling down on the truth about who I am in Christ. And saying it out loud and regrooving my brain, this actual piece of flesh in here that can be changed by the way I think and the things I say and the declarations I make. Third thing I'm gonna close with this is fasting. And specifically, fasting on a schedule. So much of my life, I looked at fasting, which is abstaining from eating food, um, as a thing you do, like, when you want to cast more demons out, or when you need direction in life, or when God inspires you to do it. And that's real. Like, fasting out of res in a responsive way is really good and valid. But what's actually helped me turn the corner of growing in fasting, because it's a hard thing, right? is to make it a routine in my life. So what I do is I fast every Wednesday from sunrise to sunset. And this is a way just to say no to my most basic desires and yes to Jesus instead.
And it's just created more space to be patient in me. It's created more space to be kind and gentle in me through this simple spiritual discipline of saying no to my carnal, primal desires and yes to Jesus instead. You guys want to stand up so I can pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. You, gave, you give us the spirit. You, you didn't leave us as orphans, but you sent the Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that you did that. Holy Spirit, we embrace you. We embrace your power and your fruit. God, I pray that we would see more people healed. The prophetic understanding, the words of knowledge, the miracles of faith would go to a new level. And at the same exact time, God, will you pour out patience and faithfulness and gentleness on our church? That's the last thing the world is representing right now. We can be so unique. We can reflect your love by being patient, kind, gentle, loving. Lord, inspire us to this and empower us to it. Give us grace to, to let the fruit of the Spirit come out with people we don't like in situations that are hard. All for your glory, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.